Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible thanks to our sponsor, Store My Tumor. Your preserved tumor contains the most important information about your cancer. Store My Tumor provides live tumor preservation and coordination of advanced diagnostics and personalized immunotherapies. Thank you so much for supporting us. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each time we come out with a new episode. To all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. I do want to let everyone know if you haven't checked out our events page at survivingbreastcancer.org or you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I do want to let you know that we do have an upcoming free webinar on December 2nd. It's going to be on the discussions of Saints Who Rock, presented by Dr. Carol Weaver. Hope you can make it. It'll be a great way to connect with the community and then just enjoy all of the feminist heroism we have in our world and people we can really look up to. So today we have a little bit of a longer podcast. I'm really excited because we have Candice on the show. She is from Long Beach, California, diagnosed with stage two breast cancer that eventually metastasized. Candice is amazing. She has run several marathons, including qualifying for Boston, which in and of itself is just spectacular. We talk about everything from hormonal therapies, the Lupron shots, whether you get them on a monthly basis or quarterly. We talk about the ebbs and flows of lymphedema, how lymphedema can flare up, and the struggles we have trying to fit into jackets and blazers that are just really cute. But because we have this like fluid in our arms, we're prevented from wearing some of like the cute outfits. We talk about everything from living a healthy lifestyle to living our best life after a cancer diagnosis. I am thrilled to have Candace on the show. Welcome to the conversation. I've had cancer twice. And the, the first time I was uh, stage two and the, um, you know, I went through the, the uh, chemo and radiation, um, surgery, and I didn't know that I didn't know anything about hormone therapy. I had never heard the word. And so when, after I got done with radiation, I thought, okay, great, I'm done. Okay. And they said, oh, you have to take, um, you know, you have to take aromatase inhibitor every day and you have to take, um, Lupron. And I had taken Lupron during treatment to suppress, um, you know, to, I guess, suppress my um, reproductive system. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I was doing it um, every, every quarter because I couldn't handle the side effects of the monthly Lupron. Okay. And with the monthly, the monthly Lupron for me, I was achy. You know, I'm a morning morning person. I go out and I run in the morning. And I have morning clients, and you know, I'm up and up the door at yeah. five a.m. I could not get out of bed until one o'clock in the afternoon. Really? And yeah, I, I couldn't. I could not manage the monthly side effects of the Lupron. So I talked to my doctor about it, and he said, "Okay, you can go on the quarterly." And the quarterly, I could def I could handle. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then I got off the aromatase inhibitor because I didn't like the side effects of that. And cause he said, because I went through such a rigorous chemo treatment, um, that, you know, I should be okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so at my five and a half year, uh, mark, I was re-diagnosed and nice. re-diagnosed with metastatic, um, breast wow. cancer. And I had had a PET scan six months earlier and the PET scan was clear. And then I was having a treatment on my arm with the lymphedema. Oh, I have that too. It was awful, isn't it? Oh, I'm so annoyed. Like I try and put on like a sport jacket or like different things and I'm just like too fat. I'm just like one side. It's annoying. Did you get treatments for it? So I do. I like I when I have like flare ups and stuff, I'll go and get like yeah. the massage therapies. I'm supposed yeah. to wear mm-hmm. a sleeve all the time. I don't wear it all the time. I'll admit it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, I try to when I'm like working out in terms of like just getting that blood flow and the pumping to go through yeah. with the the yeah. lymph fluid. Definitely when I fly. Um, but it's just annoying that now we have this like lifelong thing we have to manage and deal with. And I, I love wearing like my rings and bracelets and jewelry and. You know, cute shirts that might have a little cinch at the wrist or something. And now I'm just very cautious about it. I know everybody asks me if I'm left-handed because I wear my watch um, mm. on my right, my right hand yeah. or my, yep. my, yeah. And <laughs> exactly. I'm like, no, I'm not left-handed. They're like, well, why do you wear your watch on your right? I'm like, because I cannot have anything that is tight. I don't want it. Like, yes, I'm fearful of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the doctor gave me the sleeve and the sleeve made it 10 times worse. Oh, wow. It was, it was awful. Um, so I was going, well, I go, I still go three times a week to have treatment yeah. on my arm. Um, we do do the, the pumping mm-hmm. and then, you know, to break up that scar tissue to where, where uh, the scar was from the uh, actual surgery. Yeah. But I, I can't figure out exactly what makes the flare up happen and then what makes it go away. I know things you know, I can use my dry brush and that helps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do all these funny little concoctions in the morning, you know, for, um, uh, in, in inflammation and, you know, my sure. friends just laugh at me, you know, cause I, I take it, you know, it's almost like a shot of tequila, you know, I <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, I need a chaser. Like, right. Yeah. Cause it's awful. They're like, why do you do that? Right. I'm like, well, because I am trying to keep you know, any inflammation in my body down. Right. Um, but going back to the the swelling, it, yeah, I, I can't wear certain shirts. I can't mm-hmm. wear certain jackets and it, yeah. there's not really anything that I guess we can do about it. Or in, at least I haven't come across anything that, right. that, that works, um, which it is frustrating. And I think that's part of the the myth that I love dispelling when people think that breast cancer is just that active treatment phase, but that there's right. this really like longevity of no, for the rest of my life, this is like something I'm Absolutely. managing and Absolutely. it's a constant reminder and potentially a trigger depending on the day of the week. And so Absolutely. it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know a lot more 
serious, I would say, and something that, you know, we're relating to you right now. I know this is for our listeners and viewers. You know, what I love about our conversations is that, okay, we just jumped right into it. I don't even think we did formal <laughs> introductions, but it's like, okay, what type of breast cancer? What stage? Okay, lymphedema. Let's talk, talk all about it. So right. that's exactly right. how I host my shows. It's really just, awesome. you know, so much conversation and, you know, commonalities, mm-hmm. asking each other questions as we're both getting to know each other. And, right. you know, even though I do this weekly, it's always fun, I think also for my listeners to find out more about myself because my guests are always asking questions or there's something that'll trigger something in my mind of like, oh my gosh, I remember that happening as well. So it's just such an honor to have you, Candace, on our show for our Breast Cancer Conversations podcast. So I already have like a bajillion questions to ask you and I'm sure you have (laughs) a lot to ask me, but let's just uh, start from the beginning, like your name, where you're from. Um, My name is Candace McMenemy and I'm from... uh, Laguna Beach, California. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I know you mentioned earlier, too, that you are a two-time breast cancer thriver. And that you had such an interesting story. I loved reading it and posting it on our website. And I'll link to it um, in the show notes and everything below. But you and I have a lot in common in terms of, like, living a healthy lifestyle, being incredibly active, and Mm -hmm. somehow, you know, in our younger ages, getting diagnosed with breast cancer. So Mm -hmm. I would have to say you are a little bit more active than me trying to run all of these marathons and (laughs) qualifying for the Boston Marathon. So I would love for you to just kind of like take us back to a little bit of like your lifestyle and leading up to that like terrible rainy day that you were describing in your story. Yeah. So um, I've been, I've had a personal training business for 18 years now, Uh, but in 2011, um, well, let's see, in 2010, I um, did the Long Beach Marathon and I was not happy with my time Mm. at all. That, you know, my, my boyfriend at the time and my parents were at the finish line and, you know, my parents were so excited that I finished and he looked at my parents and said, he's not happy. And sure enough, I got up to them and I said, I am so disappointed in myself. And my parents were like, you just ran a marathon. And I said, but my time was awful. So when I was training for Napa to get to Boston, I was determined. Hmm. And while I was training for Napa, towards the end, I was just feeling really tired. And I thought, well, maybe I had mono. Mm -hmm. So I go and I get tested. No, my blood work is perfect. And I thought, okay, I'm just tired. So mm-hmm. I uh, drove up to Napa, ran the marathon. I qualified. I was on clock nine Woo! with my time. That is so huge. That is huge. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to be going to Boston in 2012. And there, when I went to the, the doctor, I forgot to tell her about this little bump that was, um, it was, it was underneath my armpit. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly, I thought it was ingrown hair and I was living with my sister at the time and sisters being sisters, you know, I'm trying to get her to pop it. And, right. You know, maybe it's too much, but she's like, it won't. And I'm like, <laughs> it, you're not trying hard enough. Right. Um, but I, I couldn't get it, you know, and I told my mom about it. She's like, just, I don't know, have the doctor look at it. And I forgot to tell her. And when I got back from Napa, um, she said, go get that looked at. Mm. I said, okay. So I went to the doctor. But it wasn't like bothering you or anything? Like there was no pain or just, you just noticed it? Yeah. And and it was honestly, um, I don't know if you can see, but the the white of my uh, my nail, it Mm -hmm. was like, it was that, you know, that small. Sure. Um, 
again, I thought it was an ingrown hair. Um, and she didn't know what it was. And so she said, let's just go do a mammogram and an ultrasound just to be on the safe side. And I said, okay. So I did. And the, um, mammogram came back a little funny ultrasound came back a little funny. I had to do a biopsy and sure enough, stage two breast cancer. So from being on my, my highest cloud of running Napa qualifying for the 2012 Boston marathon to 10 days later of being in surgery and having 17 lymph nodes removed, seven of which were cancerous. Oh my gosh. It, It was just, I thought, how, how did I, how was I so high? And now I have cancer. Right. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm 30. Yeah. It's it's, doesn't run my family. How in the world do I have cancer? So long and short, I um, went straight into survival mode as I'm sure you did. Mm -hmm. And I met my surgeon, I met my oncologist and, you know, went through the traditional chemo, the traditional radiation and, you know, you don't really, you don't, you don't really think about the, the mental and the emotional um, impact that it has on you because you're just trying to survive. Right. Yes. You, at least I should, I'll speak for myself. I never thought that I was going to die. I, I never, I, I never did that. That, that wasn't going to happen to me. So I used my physical, um, knowledge from being, you know, in, in the, in the profession to help me with the side effects of everything. Mm-hmm. But the mental and emotional part I left, I left out. Right. And it, it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe six months to a year after the first time I was diagnosed to really start to digest what, what had just happened to me. Right. And because you know, all, all my peers are, you know, uh, getting further, further along in their profession. My peers are meeting their boyfriends that became fiancés, husbands, and children. And I'm waiting for my hair to grow back on my head. Right. And, but again, you, but you don't think about it while, while you're in it. It's not till after the fact where now you have to enter back into a professional um, arena that you have to, you know, your world is still going on, but yet you're on Lupron, yet you're on this aromatase inhibitor, yet you still have your doctor's appointments, yet you still don't feel wonderful and you still have to process everything that just happened. And it, it's, I, I can look back and I, I wish that I, I, I wish that I would have, started therapy while I was going through treatment, but at the same time, one more appointment, I don't know if I could handle one more appointment. So it it was always this, this back and forth. And, um, I I don't even know where, I don't even know where I'm going with all of it now, but it, it was just, it was just, I don't want to say, um, it was unimaginable while I was going through it, but I didn't find that it was unimaginable until afterwards. Right. 
right. if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. I think you articulate that actually really well. I resonate with everything you just said. And mm-hmm. even when you just mentioned, when you go back into the professional world, like that was literally the transition of when cancer hit me. It was when mm-hmm. my medical leave was up and I had to return to work. And you know, I remember putting on, like my hair was just starting to grow back and it came back mm-hmm. like this like awesome silverish blonde grayish color mm-hmm. that was like, you know, like the little like duckling fuzz and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would never have my hair in that, like, short little pixie style unless this right. happened to me. You know, Absolutely. but you put on, like, your pink lipstick, your cute dress, you, and you go mm-hmm. to work. And, you know, everyone's happy that you're back. But that mm-hmm. lasts maybe for maybe, like, 10 minutes, 30 minutes if you're lucky for the cap coffee break. And then it's here's all the work that you missed. Let's get caught up. You're in meetings. You're taking notes. And for me, it was the chemo brain. It was the mm-hmm. overwhelmness of, mm-hmm. like, I've never suffered from anxiety before and the level of anxiety was like, oh my God, I, it was almost that Charlie Brown moment of everyone's going like, want, want, walk and talking. And I just could not process what was happening. And that's really when it hit me that this breast cancer journey is so much more than just getting through and surviving through treatment. And really this is now a lifelong thing that some days it lingers in the forefront of your mind, sometimes it's in the back Mm -hmm. of your mind. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the scary fact that, you know, doctors can never tell us 100% that we are cancer-free, that there is always, you know, a lingering opportunity for something to, to bubble back up. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, to, and in your – oh, go ahead. And I, I, wanted to say, I wanted to ask you, actually, you know, I love that you never thought you were going to die from this. Like, you were just like, okay, mm-hmm. cancer. When you were going in for your mammogram initially, like, that – that day where you had like the mammogram ultrasound and biopsy mm-hmm. was cancer even like part of your mind because you know you're really like doctor's appointment ingrown hair they're just testing like what was mm-hmm. happening in that period of time no it, it cancer had never ever crossed my mind so being in my profession it's usually it's usually once a year that i have to take a, a chunk of time out whether it's five weeks six weeks, you know, if I, you know, if I hurt my, my ankle, or Mm -hmm. if I had to have some random surgery, or I hurt my shoulder. So I really thought I was like, eh, something's not right. But this is just going to be something where I'm not going to be able to work out and, you know, run and do my thing for five, six, maybe seven weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, it's, it's just time for me to rest. Exactly. And when that, that, that rainy Wednesday day in Southern California where, yeah, we get rain, but it drizzles (laughs) and we're like, Oh my God, it's raining. Right. You know, where, but I mean, it was like downpouring, downpouring. Yeah. And I thought that's weird. It's, it's raining. You know, so mom and I go to the hospital and we're waiting and we're waiting. And I thought, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I left the exam room and I went out in the hall and I just asked a nurse, I said, could you please tell me, you know, my results Like we've been waiting. And she was like, Oh, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were, you've been waiting for so long. I'll, I'll go grab the results and bring them in the room. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So she comes back in and she was like, I'm so sorry, but you have stage two breast cancer. She tells you right then and there, right then and there. And my mom was in it. I was on the exam. I was, sitting on the exam table 
and my mom was sitting in a chair with her legs crossed. And as soon as the nurse said those words, I went into shock, but my mom, and she doesn't remember doing this, but she kicked her legs and she kicked me. So she went to, she went to uncross her legs and cross them the other way. And it was just like this, like honestly, a knee jerk reaction. Yes. Yes. And I said, there's no way that I have cancer there. That it's not possible. Like no way I have cancer. And she said, sweetheart, you do. And I I didn't cry at that point. Mm -hmm. And my mom didn't cry again. We're, you know, this, this team. And she said, okay, I want uh, Dr. So-and-so for her um, surgeon. And I want Dr. So-and-so for her uh, oncologist. And the nurse said, well, let me, let me go see, because I think the surgeon is still here. And and it was five o'clock on a Wednesday night. Um, and so sure enough, he was there and he walked in and he looked at me and said, you are way too young to be dealing with this. And he said, I'm so sorry. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. And I said, I would also like so-and-so to be my oncologist. And he said, okay. I know it just gave me chills yeah. to even say it. And, and even to this day, even though I am no longer with that hospital, I'm at another hospital now. Um, and I'll still pop in and, um, you know, I'll see him and we'll talk. And so you, you, you establish these relationships and, uh, friendships with these doctors that have such huge hearts for what, what they do. And I think for them seeing, you know, someone like you or someone like myself who is young, we're not supposed to be managing and dealing with this. Right it breaks their heart and they just want to help us and make us better. And, um, but it's just such a, a a lovely, um, relationship that you establish. Yeah. That that's interesting that you got to meet, um, like your surgeon right away that evening too. So when I got diagnosed, um, I don't think I cried either. I think it was, Mm um, I had, I forget exactly how this was working. Um, I think I saw my primary care doctor a couple of times yeah. before I finally got the prescription to be able to get the mammogram. Um, okay. But my family. It, oh, go ahead. It, um, does it run in your family? No. So okay. it doesn't. And we did genetic testing and there's no genes associated with it. So it's incredibly sporadic, um, which is a little troubling. I mean, sometimes we want yeah. to know like, well, why? But Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, you almost feel like if, well, if if I know why, then I can manage that. Yes. But if I don't know why, mm-hmm. then that leaves right. me being confused. But I interrupted you, so I'm, no, I'm, no. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, well, and speaking of the why, I think you know. So about our background, also, my boyfriend and I were strict vegans at the time, also, and oh, so okay. you know, we were prior to that, I was a vegetarian. So there would have been like pretty much like two decades of me not eating like animal products and, mm-hmm. you know, dairy products and all of this good stuff. I, you know, people would be like, oh, you don't eat enough kale or broccoli and all these cancer fighting foods. I'm like, you guys like stop. It's like, <laughs> the worst thing you can tell me right now. Right. right. Um, but I remember two distinct things that when I found out that I had breast cancer, William, my boyfriend was like, that's it. We're going out for steak. Like, you know, all bets <laughs> are off. And then the second thing that I wanted to share also is like it never crossed my mind once either that by me sharing with my boyfriend that I had breast cancer that he was going to leave me. I think like in hindsight it was 
I don't know if I should have thought about that a little bit, but it was more like, mm-hmm. okay, like, what does this mean? I have to do, I have to get time off from work. I have to go to the hospital. It was immediately, like you were saying, like planning mode and just getting everything right. in order. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like there was adrenaline, but it was almost that like adrenal rush of, I can't right. think and have emotion around this. It's very pragmatic. And this is the process right. we're following. Right. Right. Because if you allow yourself to be emotional, then you're going to fall apart and be a basket case and nothing's going to get accomplished. Right. If you, if you keep yourself together, then here's A, here's B, here's C. But in actuality, having, you know, meltdowns and being emotional, I guess when it's, when it's appropriate, it's, it's good. It's good for the body. Right. And, but I didn't allow myself to, to do that very often. Right. Right. It sounds like you didn't either. Yeah. No, I think it all hit me like afterwards. Um, yeah. Like even now, yeah. like I'm what, two and a half years out and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I still have my mental breakdown days and I'm just like, mm-hmm. like, it's just hard. Um, you know, I struggle with weight gain with all the aromatase inhibitors and joint yeah. pain and, um, you know, just like the aftermath, the hot flashes. Like I try to get ready for work. I, I put know. on the makeup. And then by the time I get I to my car, I'm like wiping it all off. Like what's the point? <laughs> I know. I know. So, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know my, my girlfriends that, that are older than me and actually going through, you know, natural mm-hmm. menopause, you know, they, they'll, they'll tell me all about it. And I'm like, you guys remember, I've been managing this for, mm-hmm. you know, eight years. Right. I'm like, oh my God, Kate, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I'm like, no, you don't need to forget. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've tried everything under the sun with the hot flashes, you know, mm-hmm. putting peppermint oil, you know, behind my ears, on my wrist and, you know, taking a shower at night and going to bed with my hair wet and, you yeah. know, all the fans and everything, you know, mm-hmm. anybody that walks into my bedroom, like, it's an ice box in here. I'm like, isn't it fabulous? Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All through winter in Boston, we sleep with like the bedroom windows cracked because I'm just like, I need this air. Or like, yeah, you right. get out of the shower. I'm just like letting the steam from like the 30 degree outside come in. I'm like, this is amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't mind the cold temperatures. It's just the snow that I can't stand. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's beautiful in the in the fall, right? Oh, it is. Yeah, I'll definitely send you yeah. some pictures. We got up to New Hampshire um, not too long ago and took pictures mm-hmm. of peak foliage. I was like, this is – it was just oh. a great mental escape of being in, like, the world's, like, flower bouquet. So – Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I, I use the ocean. Totally. Uh, as, as I try to go every other day to go and put my feet, um, oh, nice. you know, in, in the sand and, and, you know, obviously the water, um, it's a little bit cold in the winter, but yeah, you know, cold for us is not cold for the rest of the world or the rest of the, sure. the sure. United States. Um, but you know, you have to have that, 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 that peacefulness that, um, it's almost a meditative state, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, you that you that, yeah. you that you create um and what works for me might not work for you right. uh, but it, it it's fine you know and as long as we are all in this together and can talk about you know different things to try uh, mm-hmm. you know even going back to the hot flashes hot flashes if there is something that you're like oh my gosh you know i i do this then yeah maybe i should try it maybe it'll work exactly um, but um it, Tell me, tell me how, how you found your, your breast cancer. Yeah. So, um, 
So I guess there was like always like a lump or something going on, but mm-hmm. again, and maybe when I first recognized it, um, one, I never thought of breast cancer. And then two, it's always been there. So why would I be concerned? Like right at the right. age when you're starting to do your own like self-breast exams, like right. I know my body, that's always there. Oh, I'm not worried about it because it's always been there. Whether you're like right. going through your menstrual cycle or not, you're just like, I'm not worried about it. Um, I brought it up with my doctor, my primary care. Um, she was not concerned. And so, you know, I mm-hmm. think why would you advocate and feel empowered to ask more questions if you don't have a family history of it? And mm-hmm. she's not concerned because, mm-hmm. you know, we hear like we're too young for this, right? So it's not like on right. the forefront. Um, right. But when I was 34, I was, you know, again, being very active and working out. And like, luckily, I'm glad I was working out because this is how I was starting to notice a difference and change in um, what was going on with my chest. And so, like, I'm at the gym, like, you know, pumping my iron in front of the mirror and, like, you know, feeling really great <laughs> about what's right. going on. And so right. I've been doing this for, like, a couple of weeks. And I'm like, wow, I'm really starting to, like, develop, like, shoulder muscles and pectoral muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, but one side of my chest was not as developed as the other. And I'm like... <laughs> Well, I'm not lifting odd like weights on different sizes. Like this is right. this is a little weird, and so right. I actually started noticing some dimpling hap- happening on um, on my breast, and was just like again, could be muscle. Doubt it's muscle because it was so, so different. It was not happening on the other side, and right. so it was really the dimpling, I guess, when like the cancer was starting to pull in the skin tissue that mm-hmm. caused that effect. Um, you know, I think a lot of people show like those pictures of like the different types of lemons or like different fruits mm-hmm. that have like all the ugly wrinkles and everything on it. Right. <laughs> but I think that's a really good example of like, what does it look like? I'm like, it looks kind of ugly and like dimply. Uh-huh. And, um, right. So that's when I asked my doctor. And even then it was challenging to almost like convince her that I wanted a mammogram because mm-hmm. depending on your posture, it looked like you couldn't find anything, right? But like right. if right. you're slouching or you're hunched over or you have your purse on your shoulder, like you can see like how your body changes. And I was like, well, right. if you're not worried, um, that's cool. Let's get a mammogram so I can sleep at night. Like, yep. and I wasn't mm-hmm. really thinking cancer. I mean, I was bracing myself potentially because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, my boyfriend and my parents were talking about it, but like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like the result. It was more like, let's just get this out of the way so we can right. just move on. Right. And right. It happened very quickly too, just like your story. I went in for the mammogram mm-hmm. and then immediately more pictures were taken, then an ultrasound, and then they asked if I could stay through lunch and they'll squeeze me in for a biopsy. And that's when I called my job thinking I was just going to like, you know, take, be an hour late for a mammogram, ended up me taking yeah. the entire day off because, you know, I'm sitting in this little room signing consent forms about the potential of a collapsed lung and I've never had a biopsy in my life and... I don't know what that means. And that level of pain was like something I never want to experience again. Um, Did you end up having a collapsed lung? uh, No, later. Okay. But not during that. Um, (laughs) Me me too. (laughs) Yeah. And so again, I think it just moved very quickly. Um, You know, the waiting period is always the worst, waiting for results, trying not to think about it and stay focused at your job. Mm -hmm. And I found out um, like through a phone call, and they asked if I wanted to come in. I'm like, can you just tell me now? And then I'll yeah. come in. But like, can you just tell me? And um, right. Right. they scheduled me for, it must have been like a 7.30 a.m. or 8 a.m. Like, again, before they open at like 8.30, like appointment with an oncologist who was off on that day, who made a special like 
trip to the hospital to come meet with me because of, you know, my age and everything and how quickly we have right. to move. Right. So right. Right. I think I bet with him and in hindsight too, I think it was like really cute. He was giving me like the rundown, like you're going to meet this doctor, you're going to have the bone scan, you're going to have the, um, cat scan, like, or the CT scans, like you're gonna have all of these tests done and it's exhausting and you're drinking all this terrible liquid and right. And then at the end I was like, okay. And then I come back here for like the next step. And he's like, <laughs> no, like I'm going on my vacation day now, but <laughs> I wanted to meet you at eight in the morning so I can tell you what your plan was. And then we'll connect next week. And I'm like, oh, like I, I immediately was like, I didn't know. Like I thought you were just like my go-to now. And so right, when you talk about right. that relationship, it was immediately like, okay, I see you. You're my guy. You're going to have like work with me on this. Like, don't leave my side. <laughs> right. Right. You can't go on vacation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we went through all the testing and everything. Um, I ended up opting. I did chemotherapy first to try and shrink the size of the tumor and okay. ended up um, being able to do a lumpectomy uh, for my surgery, which mm-hmm. I don't know the technical term. I need to look up the technical term. It's like a double <laughs> lumpectomy, like when they do it on both sides. Or it's like lumpectomy oh. with like reconstruction. I don't know. Oh, There's... yeah. I, just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Either. Um. So I, I, I guess you heard it here first. Like double lumpectomy is like a thing now. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll look at the actual medical term for like what procedure I actually had. And then right. I also had the full auxiliary node dissection because it did spread to my lymph nodes as well. Okay. And so that's why I get the little B after the number two because I guess size and number of lymph nodes. I only had three lymph nodes involved. I say okay. only, but like you just mentioned you had what, seven of your 17? Um, yes, yeah, so I had uh, 17 removed and seven of those were cancerous. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. And so for our listeners too, also just to like clarify, because this was news to me on the lymph node situation, that we all have different numbers of lymph nodes. So like if you had 17 removed, um, did you have a full auxilla, auxiliary node dissection? Do you know? Um, I don't think I did. Um, okay. if I did, I don't remember. Sure. Um, yeah. but I, I, I don't think I, I don't think I did. I think I just had the, the lumpectomy. Yeah. Okay. And then the 17 lymph nodes removed. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's this thing called, um, and again, I have all the disclaimers at the beginning and end of my podcast because we're not medical professionals and we're just sharing. <laughs> right. Um, but right. I didn't realize this. So like when you talk about like the auxilla, I don't know if I hope I'm pronouncing it right, auxiliary node dissection is like uh-huh. all of the lymph nodes like underneath like your armpit area, like going up uh-huh. right before your collarbone area, uh-huh. like kind of this whole area. And I'm, I'm still numb in that in that part, which is kind of interesting because I used to be super ticklish and now it doesn't even matter. Uh I know. Um, But I guess everybody has different numbers of lymph nodes and you don't know until surgery, like when they go in and take them out. And I guess they look like little Mm -hmm. grapes on a vine. And, you know, I, so all of my lymph nodes in that area were 14 of three of which were cancerous. Um, Okay. You know, some other people have, you know, up to like 34 lymph nodes or they might have only 10 lymph nodes. And so everyone's body is slightly different. And so that was news to me because not that it's ever a comparison game of like how many like lymph nodes do we have, but right. you know, it's really just an arbitrary thing that we don't know until the surgery happens. And so mm-hmm. afterwards it was like, okay, we did the surgery and here's your pathology report. And now we can actually tell you a lot more information about your staging. And mm. I didn't realize how anxious I was even going into that meeting because you're concerned about, did my doctor get clear margins around the lumpectomy? I don't think I'm mentally, I can go through another surgery again. 
Um, right. What happened? What's going on with the lymph nodes? Because they were removing tissue on my other side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they while it wasn't detected, you never know deeper tissue that might not have shown up on a mammogram if there was cancer on the other side. So I think there's mm-hmm. a lot that um, I probably Googled too much, um, but there was a lot that you know was waiting on weighing on that uh, pathology report and that follow up conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, when when you said that your hormone therapy is 10 years, yes. um, so you have to be on the Lupron and then the aromatase inhibitor for 10 years? Yes. Because when I went through it, um, in, well, in 2011, they said that um, I only had to do it for five years. Mm-hmm. So, so, I, so I guess now it's it's different now. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of different options for people. Um, you know, I've heard different things where you can be on like tamoxifen for five years and then graduate yeah. to, well, not graduate, but like move on to um, like a aromatase inhibitor for the latter five. Some people are mm-hmm. just um, on one of either tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitor for five years and that's it. I think okay. also, um, you know, given our age being under 40, we took, we were taking an aggressive approach with everything that we were already doing anyway. So right. I think the initial plan is to be on it for 10 years. And, you know, I think we have an opportunity to look at it again when I hit that five-year mark. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I had to make a decision pretty early on whether or not I wanted to, like, you know, in terms of, like, fertility, decide if I wanted to have any kids or not. And so I'm probably not going to have any kids. Sorry to, like, break everyone's heart (laughs) out there, Um, at least um, biologically. There's other ways to do it, but at least biologically. And. Mm Yeah, so I think my doctor was just trying to give me options to say, okay, in five years we could reassess, we could decide, you know, that's kind of what he felt comfortable of saying, mm-hmm. we want you to be on this for a period of time before we even start any sort of, um, you know, fertility plan or right. reassess. Because sometimes too, as you mentioned, the side effects of a lot of these drugs really impact the quality of life. And, Absolutely. you know, there's definitely days where I'm just like, I don't know how much longer I want to do this. Like I... I- do you want to put it in a box, in a bag, and not be reminded about it every single morning right. when I have to wake up and take this lineup of medication? I know. I know. Yeah. It's, we're, we're faced with making so many decisions when we've been thrown all this shocking information. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yes, no, no, yes, sure. I don't know. Right. Um, and I know before I had uh, my um, surgery, I had um, um, I harvested my eggs. Okay. Because you know I didn't have well, I had a boyfriend at the time, but um, you know I, I wasn't married and I didn't have kids before that. Mm-hmm. And it, I would say, up until maybe two years ago, I was dead set that I wanted kids. Mm. And now, and now I, I don't know if I do, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm happy that I still have that opportunity, yes. but I still, I'm, I feel like I'm leaning towards not having kids, um, sure. but it, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard decision. Yeah. It's keeping the and, options open, right? Like, right, yeah. right. I know. And I had a girlfriend who was um, six months ahead of me, mm-hmm. uh, the first time around. And I called her my, my angel. Oh, nice. And then three years later I had a girlfriend. And so she had, she had twins, um, maybe a year or so after she was 
done with everything. Uh, but mm-hmm. she had to have the surrogate and all that. Yeah. And then my other girlfriend who was um, three years older than me and three years behind me, she, she said, I, I don't want kids. And so, you know, yeah. with breast cancer in general, you know, we have, I, I guess on, on the bright side, is that we have so many options, you know, do we want to be a mom? Do we want to yes. adopt? Do we want to harvest our eggs? Right. Um, you know, do we not want to be a mom? You know, do we want to be, you know, the best auntie we can be, you know, or do we want to be with animals? And exactly. so th- there are a lot of options in life to giving back or contributing or, oh, exactly. or feeling that, that, motherhood um I, I guess that the, the mother motherhood yeah. feeling exactly no and I feel like that I talk about that a lot with my boyfriend too um since we made the decision not to have children it's like mm-hmm. well you know surviving breastcancer.org is like my family it is the children Absolutely. it is like talking to you know those who've been recently diagnosed or people further along in their journey who are having a tough day like I give mm-hmm. out my cell phone number now like it's crazy mm-hmm. I'm just like oh my god I like we've all been there and we know how right. scary it can be and just right. to be like a sounding board, I think is really important too, because a lot of people, I mean, we're just meeting each other now pretty much, but like when you're on the mm-hmm. telephone, like it's almost like being in confession, right? Like you don't see yeah. the person, mm-hmm. you don't know the person, they're not your doctor, right. they're not your spouse, they're not a relative. It's like right. unbiased, like this is how I really feel. And right. I just need to get that off my chest and now I can mm-hmm. move on. And so, right. you know, it's been just really rewarding work that, you know, I know this is if I'm not going to have a family, like I have my work cut out for me doing this. So I'm satisfied. <laughs> There's a lot of love. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So, okay. Definitely. So you were mentioning all of this happened. You had your surgery. <laughs> so you had chemo surgery and the radiation or su- surgery. I, first? I had, um, I harvested my eggs. Then mm-hmm. I had, um, uh, chemo. Then I had radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had complications along the way. Um, I had capillary leakage in my lungs. I had to stop oh. chemo for, I think, six weeks. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so I, I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without feeling faint. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's it's like if somebody were to just punch little holes in my lungs, hmm. and then they my lungs were bleeding. Like bleeding, like blood bleeding? Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. It, it, at least at least that's what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Wow. Um, I couldn't even walk down um, the, the block. Okay. I remember being fatigued. I, <laughs> wow, that sounds much more like challenging. I, I mean, I remember like I, there's like three stairs to get into my house. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember trying to be ambitious going grocery shopping. I'm like mm-hmm. literally coming home with like one bag of groceries and mm-hmm. I'm like, grocery bag is too heavy. The stairs are too heavy. Like, I just need to sit down. I can't find my keys. I'm going to lean against the door. Like, I remember being fatigued. And, mm-hmm. but this sounds even like way beyond what fatigue would be if you have been diagnosed with, what is it called? Capillary? Uh, capillary leakage in, in leakage. your lungs. Okay. I've never heard of that before. Did you know that that was yeah. one of the side effects? Um, I... I think it was a side effect of, of one of the, the chemo drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, again, at least that's what I remember of being course. told. Um, and then they put me on um, eight months of prednisone okay. to to help with that. So it was either a week in the hospital 
for eight months of prednisone. And we were signing the, the papers to go into the hospital. And my pulmonary doctor called my oncologist and said, no way. She, she's an athlete. You know, you, you cannot put her a week in the hospital. She'll go, like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, put her under my watch and I'll watch her. So the oncologist signed off. He signed off on that. I didn't wow. have to go into the hospital. But then I had eight months of prednisone. And with prednisone, you know, most people, um, they, they, they gain weight from that. Right. And, you know, cause that, that's a major side effect. And I lost so much weight. Really? Yeah. It, it was, it was weird. Um, even to the point where my doctors asked me if I was taking my medication, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I promise I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I don't know what's going on. Um, but anyway, so I got through that, um, you know, but being being a runner and I can't even walk half of the block. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I can't walk upstairs. It was, it was not a fun experience. Oh. Um, I remember that too. Just to share a similar story, um, I was diagnosed in the fall, and so the majority of my chemotherapy was during the winter. And my boyfriend got me like one of these like amazing like what the goose coats that keep you like super warm in the winter mm-hmm. because of the hot flashes too. I was like, I don't want to die of hypothermia because I'm sweating. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, as, to your point too, like you want to be out in nature. You want to like breathe fresh air. You want to be as active as you possibly can, even if it's like walking down the block. And there were just nights where it's like, I would spend more time trying to put on my like socks and shoes and coat and bundle up to literally get to the edge of the block at the stop mm-hmm. sign and be like, that was a good walk. Like, can we turn right. around now? And right. like the whole ordeal of just like mustering up that energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so it, it, it really, really makes you makes you appreciate think things in life, or you know that maybe that we would take for granted, you know, before. It's like wow, you know, I I can go walk down to the ocean, you know, yes. or I can take a drive to you know see the the beautiful leaves. Exactly. Uh, turning. And, you know, th- everybody is so b- busy nowadays. And, but when I couldn't run and I could barely walk, and then kind of when I was recovering from that, you know, just walking and looking at all the neighborhood, literally stopping and smelling the roses. Right. I had no, I- no idea that the neighborhood that I lived in at the time, everybody had roses. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. I was like, oh my gosh, everybody has roses and red doors. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's but, wonderful you know, it's, to like be present, yeah, right? And to like absolutely observe your surroundings and be appreciative and grateful for that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So was your chemotherapy stopped then while you were on prednisone or was it just during like a six week period? Um, it was just that, that six week period okay. um, when, when my lungs were really bad mm-hmm. and then Originally, I was supposed to have nine rounds of chemo, but after we stopped the six weeks, then I ended up having. Well, I, I didn't. I ended up having a total of twelve uh, rounds of chemo. Okay. Originally, I was supposed to have nine, so I guess I had my six, and then I had six more. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't fun. Oh, I had you had blood transfusions and. All of that, I, yeah, and and I, I guess you don't really think like how sick you are, right? Um, you know, people would say, "Oh yeah, you, you were sick." And I'm like, "No, I, yeah, I was sick, but 
I wasn't that bad. Right. And they're like, no, can't you were really sick. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, um, talking about it later on, even from, you know, a a mental aspect or an emotional aspect, then it, it really dawns on you that, wow, you're really sick. Right. Or, or, or you, you, or you, you really were sick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, with all the side effects of the chemotherapy too, there's days when you're like looking in the mirror and there was just be bags under my eyes and you lose Mm -hmm. all of your hair, but also like your eyelashes and your eyebrows. And that's when I was like, I look pasty and sick. Like I just look not good. Right. So, right. And the makeup didn't help either because I would just melt right off anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. (laughs) So it was was a terrible couple of weeks right there, but um, yeah. So fast forward a little bit to your, like on the aromatase inhibitors and you're hitting like your five year mark. Yes. So I I had stopped the aromatase inhibitor, but I was still taking the Lupron every, every quarter. Oh, okay. And um, because I, uh, I didn't like the, the side effects of the aromatase inhibitor and my doctor at the time said, okay, well, I think I've mentioned this because your treatment plan was so mm-hmm. intense that you can stop the aromatase inhibitor, but you have to take your Lupron. I said, fine. Um, can I so ask which I reached, aromatase inhibitor you were on? Um, I was on, if mm-hmm. I heard it, I would probably recognize it. Exomestine? Or, yes. Uh, thank okay, you. Sure. Yeah. Is, are you on that one? I tried them all. And <laughs> oh, you tried them all. So, oh, goodness. Yeah. I was, um, you know, my doctor definitely wanted to go the um, AI route versus tamoxifen. And uh-huh. I was having such negative um, side effects with, um, mm-hmm. I think the other one was anestrozole and then exomestine. Okay. Um, and by the time we got to letrozole, I was like, we have to figure out a way to just make this work because... I don't want to have to go on to tamoxifen. Not that there's anything wrong with tamoxifen. I just, after trying the gamut, I'm like, third mm-hmm. time's a charm. We have to figure out how to make this work. Um, well, did you did you know that, because originally they put me on tamoxifen. Okay. And when it first came out, it was a birth control um, oh. pill in the, I think the late 70s-ish. Okay. And as soon as the doctor said that, I said, I can't take that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, why? And I said, birth control does not work for me. It didn't work for my mom. It doesn't work for my sister. Like we go, like it does not work with our genetic. Sure. Yeah. Um, and he said, just try it. And sure enough, I tried it. And I was like, my face became a little tomato. I got all oh, puffy. Yeah. I was like awful oh. to be around. And so they took me off of it. And then they put me back on the loop on. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh-huh. interesting to know. I've never heard, um, of an option for some people to be able to be off of the AI, but still getting the Lupron. So while you're not getting the AI, you're still suppressing like the estrogen from your reproductive system. Correct. Awesome. Okay. That's great. But not the 20% from your, um, adrenals. Got it. Okay. Um, at least again, that's what I was told that the estrogen comes from two places, um, your ovaries and then your adrenals. Okay. So the loop, the Lupron, um, suppresses your ovaries and then the aromatase inhibitor oh. I don't want to say suppresses the adrenals but it makes sense to me yeah yeah I, again if, if if I'm getting my information no, that, inf- correct that sounds right I've heard reference of the adrenal glands um I'll do a little bit of okay. research maybe do a blog on it because I haven't um okay. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many topics out there to to write about and investigate. Um, right. But yeah, I, I, right. Did, I didn't know that. And I think that's really helpful, actually, to clarify, like, what the drugs are doing mm-hmm. and how they're complementing each other. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached my, my five-year, um, I was, you know, cancer-free, everything was great. And then six months later, I found a little bump um, on like, the upper part of my chest. And it, my um, chiropractor that helps me with my, my treatments um, with the lymphedema, you know, he said, do you, you feel that? And I said, I do, but I just thought, you know, maybe my, my pecs are tight, you know, from right. push-ups or whatever it may be. And he said, just go have that looked at. And I said, oh, okay. And so I did, and they did the biopsy and it came back negative for cancer, but because of my health history, they did another scan and I had tumors everywhere. What? Everywhere. So the but that original came spot- back negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biopsy came back negative and they did a scan and cancer everywhere. So the original site, um, my my lungs, my spine, my sternum, my hips, everywhere. And oh my God. But you you felt fine, right? Like you were working oh, yeah. out, like you were just oh, yeah. going about your business. Like it, right, right. And I had had a PET scan six months earlier. Right. Like how in the world in six months did my body develop cancer all throughout my body. Wow. It, it right? didn't make any sense to me. So at that point, I wasn't comfortable with that oncologist anymore. And so I got a second opinion um, at a hospital up, uh, near LA. Okay. And it was the best decision that I made. And I remember, so when I was going through cancer the first time in 2011, there was um, a chemo pill called Ibrance that was in clinical trials yes. when I was mm-hmm. when I was going through, um, you know, the original original bout mm-hmm. or the, the first bout, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so but because of the my the cancer that was all throughout my body was the same cancer that I had in 2011, then my new oncologist could give me the pill Ibrance that you take 21 days out of the month, you get seven days off, and then I was going back on Lupron. Okay. And he said, we're gonna go back on Lupron, but we're gonna do it every month. And I'm like, oh no, mm-hmm. like I, I can't do every month. He said, let's try it. And I said, okay. So we, we started the Ibrantz, and the first month I was nauseous, the second month I was super tired, and the third month um, I had really bad headaches. And then the fourth month, I was fine. Okay. So, and that was October of 2016. Mm. So, I, I'm still on it. So, I've been, so going back to the Lupron. So, we yeah. tried the, the monthly Lupron. And again, wasn't getting out of bed until 1 p.m. And I said, I can't do this. And he said, okay, well, then we have to look at other options. Other options are taking your ovaries. Mm. And I said, well, what are the side effects of that? Right. And he said, your hot flashes could get better. Your hot flashes could get worse. I said, well, how do I know what's going to happen? And he said, we don't have a way of knowing that. You're, it's just a, they're going to have to guess. Or not yeah. guess. Um, like wait and see almost. Like Pretty much. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I had my ovaries removed and my hot flashes actually um, decreased 
And okay. so they, they weren't, they weren't as intense, which was amazing. Um, uh, but you know, still have them. And then, um, so being on the eye brands, it took 10 months for the cancer to go away. And I said, great. Okay. So I don't have to be on the eye brands anymore. And he said, oh no, you're on that indefinitely or until something else better comes out. Okay. And I said, why? I said, but I don't have, you know, I'm back in remission. I don't have, you know, my cancer's not active right now. Right. And he said, we don't want it to become active again. And now because you had stage four or metastatic breast cancer, no, you are on this and you're on this indefinitely until something else comes out. Okay. And I said, okay, well, that's, that's my plan then, I guess. So and it was 10 months from when you started Ibrance to getting like clear scans and being back in remission? Correct. Mm-hmm. Is that considered like fast or normal or when you talk to you other know, women? Like, um, I, I have not. And I never... It, it never even dawned on me to ask if it was uh, fast, slow, or yeah. okay. on track. No, it was just an interesting, like, you know, yeah. time lapse of, like, you know, we're always talking in terms of, like, how many appointments we have or treatments. And so you're like, right. I'm going to be on, you know, eyebrows for 10 months. And, you know, this is right. something to look forward to. Um, right. But I'm sure just, like, everything in this space, it varies by person with different side effects and all of that. So, right. but congratulations. Right. That is really great. I'm so glad you were so responsive or your body was so responsive to to that line of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so and- – like Go ahead. during that time too, I mean, gosh, I love these conversations because now I'm just like, okay, eye brands and stage four and metastatic, but also like the ovaries. I want to ask you about the ovaries because that's yeah, a question yeah. that uh-huh. we talk about a lot actually. And it's, you know, kind of dovetailing our earlier conversation about fertility and harvesting your eggs or not harvesting mm-hmm. your eggs and getting pregnant after a cancer diagnosis. Um, you know, so... I've had a couple of people on the show on like both extremes, right? So there's this other woman and um, I'll have to find the link to her, her podcast, but she was wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Crystal, I believe her name is. So if you look like on the podcast for Crystal, it'll be her, her show. And it was like okay. the best thing that she ever did, right? Like she got mm-hmm. rid of like the full, I think, hysterectomy. Actually, I think it mm-hmm. was, it was a different name. It was like the uterus mm-hmm. and the ovaries, like sorphoplank, very long word. Um, <laughs> So, but anyway, she was like thrilled about it. Like, love it. It's feeling great. Love in life. Doesn't look back on like, no, no remorse about, you know, having kids naturally. Like she's just on cloud nine and I love that energy. Um, uh-huh. And I, I brought up the question of having mine removed with my oncologist because mm-hmm. I was hoping to not have to take these pills every day. I'm like, if right. I could just do this as an alternative, um, that would be great too. But right. I think actually so many light bulbs coming full circle he was like, no, you would still have to take the letrozole. And now that makes so much sense. So even if I had my ovaries removed because of the mm-hmm. adrenal glands, I would still need the letrozole. So God, we're coming like right. full circle here. This is so great. <laughs> um, so one of the things that really scared me, though, about having my ovaries removed, I mean, granted, we're already in like medical menopause, but actually mm-hmm. being in like a permanent state of menopause then, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly you're an athlete, you're a personal trainer or in the fitness business, you look incredible, mm-hmm. you look super toned and healthy. Like what advice or how have you maintained that level of health while also going through all of the side effects of menopause, bone loss through the treatments, losing muscle mass, et cetera? Do you have any like tips or advice on how to maintain that balance? 
I, my biggest thing uh, to tell everybody is just be consistent Mm -hmm. that every day is different. Some days you're going to have a ton of energy on those days, get out and run and walk, do your Pilates, do your strength training. And then on days that you don't feel great, maybe just stretch or Mm -hmm. do a light yoga class or just take the day off. Sure. But, but consistency is, is absolutely the, the, the key, um, awesome. you know, not only to keep, you know, your muscle mass, because even, you know, females that aren't going through what we're going through, you mm-hmm. know, they're going to lose muscle mass as they, you know, as we all get older. Sure. Um, but if you don't, if you don't stop, then you don't, you're not going to lose it all. So, and then try to have to go back and create it again. Yes. Um, So I I think I'm in the latter phase. (laughs) I'm I'm in the, I need to go back and create it phase. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Which is a lot more work. (laughs) Oh my God. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I would say, you know, to everybody, just be, be be consistent with it. Um, But really listen to your body and, Mm again, on the days that you are tired and low energy, go for a walk, yeah. you know, or just stretch, you know, mm-hmm. we all have our, you know, TV shows that we watch or, um, podcasts sure. that we listen to or whatever it may be in our downtime. But if you're just sitting on the couch or, yeah, I don't know, running around the house doing, you know, like laundry and this, that, and the yeah. other, just sit down for five minutes and mm-hmm. stretch, Yes, you know, or while you're watching your TV shows, stretch mm-hmm. yeah that was it like during the commercials or something like hold plank or do jumping jacks yeah, or do something yeah. like just to move absolutely for sure. absolutely awesome right right yeah okay so you decided to have that surgery done so then you were yes. eligible then to no longer have to do the lupron shots correct okay. right right but i do have to um i do have to get monthly shots uh because even though I don't take an aromatase inhibitor pill, I get uh, shots. There's uh, Flazidex. Okay. Um, for the adrenals, so oh. I still have to. So I still have to block the twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and how are you tolerating all of these, like shots and the eye brands and the pills that yeah. you're taking? How are you doing um, overall? You know, I'm I'm tired. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a positive person. I'm, I'm upbeat. Yes. I have my days. Yes. I have my moments, mm-hmm. but you know, everybody asks me how, Hey, can, how you feeling? How you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm tired, but so is everybody else. Right. I don't know one person that, you know, a stranger that I would meet and say, are you tired today? Yeah, I'm really tired. You know, right. it, so I, I try to not put myself in a different category. Okay. Um, yeah even though I've had clients and, you know, friends tell me like, okay, can you just be real for one second? Like uh, our tired is way different from your tired. Right. And I said, okay, fine. It might be true, but I'm not going to tell myself that I'm going to be right. on the same playing field as you. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, when, if, if we, if we tell ourselves positive thoughts, then usually positive things will happen. If you yes. tell yourself negative thoughts, then we're down, then we're sad, then it's just mm-hmm. that downward spiral 
So, and, and we all have a choice, right? Do you mm-hmm. want to be sad? Do you want to be happy? And we, again, we all have our moments, but choose to be positive, choose to be hopeful, choose to have joy instead of, oh gosh, why did this happen to me? Well, life isn't fair. Well, it's just, yeah, everyone, you know, why, yeah. you know, and again, that, that, that's how I choose to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I choose to be happy and choose to be positive. That's not going to, you know, it doesn't say that I don't get mad or upset, but sure, yeah. 90% of the time I'm upbeat and okay, this is my journey. Yeah. And, you know, everybody has stuff. Oh, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have to take a blood pressure pill. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, you know, have to take insulin because they're diabetic. Right. It just happens to be that our journey, our stories are breast cancer. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, I, that there's a lot of good out there. And I try to surround myself with as much good as I can. I love that. I think that, I think that's great. That's, you know, very in line with like our entire mission as well is to like inject that positivity into like the heinous cancer diagnosis. Right. Right. And like, it's so easy to find the negative. Like that's easy. It's so much harder to like surround yourself with like the positivity, but once you do, it's like contagious. And that's, I love that. Like, okay, we can be tired, but like you know, I was tired last week too. So, you know, I love that being like on the same playing right. field. I think that's a really like awesome takeaway. Right. Right. And, and I, and I think, uh, giving back also helps with being positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the hospital that I'm at, um, up by LA, uh, the city of hope, yes. uh, they asked, they asked me to be their ambassador for their largest, um, campaign wow. uh, for 2019. So I've been, um, you know, doing a lot of fundraising and uh, meeting a lot of different people and it's been a wonderful experience but every time I leave an event it's I have all you know I just have this permanent smile on my face and so many people are just so sweet and so generous and Mm. yeah they always you know they always ask hey you know you you did such a great job at speaking you know mm-hmm. can I give you a hug I'm like oh my gosh of course yeah um so I I like that yeah that connection and like absolutely the storytelling I think is great we yeah. were um just this past Monday doing and uh, we were invited to come to an assisted living um or independent living residence I guess for okay. um you know, pretty much people who are 60 and above and or disabled. And okay. it was in celebration of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and they invited our organization. And I was able to go and speak. And, you know, it's it was so humbling, I think, and re, like energizing to hear these mm-hmm. stories and to share my story with, mm-hmm. you know, not all the big terms or like the gross craziness, but just – Right. This is what breast cancer early detection is. This is why it's important. Mm-hmm. And you can just see like the audience, just like right now, like, people are like nodding their heads. They're smiling. Before mm-hmm. the end of it, they were like raising their hands to share their own experience, whether it was their personal experience, their mothers, their aunts. Um, right. But then it also like opened up this new pathway of just engaging with the community members because you also see where like the discrepancies are and disparities and things that I never thought of before. There was a woman, um, just as an example, who 
um, unfortunately is suffering from cerebral palsy. And so she, um, you know, needs a sign language interpreter because she lost her hearing. And she also has a really challenging time standing upright. And through this translator, she was asking if I knew of any resources that would do mammograms for women who can sit down because she mm-hmm. physically could not stand up to get screened. And I'm like, oh wow, that is like, like, unless I was here talking to you, I wouldn't even consider that. Like that's not on my radar, right? And so right, right, how can we continue right. to go out in the communities and meet people and figure out where those pain points are mm-hmm. and immediately then be able to say, okay, we're going to find something for you. Or maybe it's just getting that prescription for insurance to cover the ultrasound because you can lie down right. and not have to stand up. But everything right. is like a fight, right? Like you can't just like go to the doctors. It's like talk right. to the doctor, talk to the insurance company, talk to this, get like transportation coordinated. Um, right. You know, but again, I think you're absolutely right. The the giving back is brings a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to know, since your qualifier for the Boston Marathon, did you ever end up running the Boston Marathon? So I couldn't run 2012. Okay. um, And they wouldn't um, honor my 2011 um, time because I physically was not in Boston to, Um. um, to, to be there, you know, to you know, give them my bib to say, I can't run this year because X, Y, and Z. But so I ended up running in 2013 and I raised money for Dana Farber because I run with um, a group of, oh gosh, I'm not exaggerating this. There's probably, there's got to be 45 of these, uh, 45 gals in the community that Mm -hmm. run now, not we all don't run together. You know, we're not this herd, you know, running down the street, you know, um, Monday through Sunday, there's all different times and different places where we meet. Um, but it's such a great, great group anyway. So a bunch of, uh, the gals were going to be running Boston, uh, 2013. And they said, you know, can you, you should go. And I said, well, okay. In my condition, I cannot qualify to go and run. And one of them said, no, uh, right. I will help you raise money for, uh, Dana Farber. Yeah. So, so that's what I did. So I was able to go with them yes. and then I met a lot of, a lot, I met a handful of gals, uh, through Dana Farber and we all ran together and awesome. Uh, yeah. So that, that was, was a great. Experience. Was that the year of the mar- the marathon bomb was 2013. Yes. So correct. I remember that because I was here in Boston and I was probably watching you and cheering you on. And I, I'll let you continue because you ran that marathon. I, I did. And it was my first race back. And so Boston was going to be the last chapter of my cancer, my cancer book. And then I was going to take the book home and throw it in the ocean and I was going to be done. Sure. And so I wasn't running it for a time. Um, so I was just running it to run. Mm-hmm. And I remember being out there and enjoying everything and stopping and, you know, eating all the snacks. I'd have my hand, you know, the candy jar and I'd pick one and didn't like that one. And you know, I'd put it back and sure. you know, I started, so then at mile 16, I was like, okay, we, we, we now need to run. Like, you know, we still have six more miles of this. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting tired. I've met a lot of great people. I've been in all the porta potties, but yep. <laughs> I, I need to go now. <laughs> right, right. We need to finish this up. <laughs> right, yeah. right. We don't need to make this an all-day event. Um, 
So I remember um, coming up to, you know, towards the end of the race and about a mile and a half, um, you know, to the finish line, I just come up to this crowd of people that are stopped mm. and I, I don't run with my phone and I thought, oh my God, what, why are we stopped? And right. not, none of us knew what were going, what was going on. We, we started to hear the helicopters and I thought something weird is going on. Yeah. So I asked somebody that was standing next to me if I could borrow their phone to call my mom because my mom and her girlfriend, my aunt and uncle were at the finish line <gasps> and I, I couldn't get through. Right. Because so, all the phones were down. It was. Right. Yeah. Right. So I used the phone to call my dad in LA and I said, you need to get a hold of mom and you need to tell me where I'm supposed to go. And so the long, the short, he got a hold of my mom, called that number back, whosever phone it was, and told me I need to go back to the hotel. And I said, I don't really know Boston. I don't really know where the hotel is, but okay. And at this point, it was about four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are starting to just kind of fall down because people are cramping. Yeah. You know, you've, been, you've been running for four hours and now you're just, you know, you're stopped. And I thought, okay, I, I can't, I can't do this. So I hopped over the barriers and then I just started running and yeah. somebody pulled me into, um, I think it was a subway and said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? Cause I had, you know, my running bib off and I said, yeah, I just need to find, you know, the Weston. Sure. Uh, and you guys have two Westons, right? Yeah, I think so. There's or a couple. Like, okay. Depending yeah. On the what, what, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, I eventually I ended up finding the the hotel which the FBI had made headquarters um, for wow. that awful experience. Um, but if I really would have been running for a time, I would have come in before right, you know, I would have come in before that happened. But you know, as you know, when yeah. you run and you're at the finish line, everybody well yeah prior prior to Boston, everybody's around the finish line congratulating everybody yes. and watching other mm-hmm. runners come in and it's it's a, it's a joyful, a oh, joyful exactly. time. Yeah. And if I really would have been running uh, for a time, I would have been right yeah. there. Yeah. And I know there's so many, you know, tragic stories that happen from that. Mm. And I feel awful for the families. And, yeah, um, you know, my heart still goes out to all those yeah. people. But it was, yeah, it was, it was very scary. It was very sad. Um yeah. But I, I have not run Boston since. Right. Well, so thanks for sharing that with us. I feel like yeah. in, I mean, it's for Boston, like, and again, I've, I've lived here now for 10 years, which is weird to think about mm-hmm. that. I've been here for already a decade, but it's yeah. very much so like a part of the culture, like that yeah. marathon, it was like, it was yesterday. We were uh-huh. all required to like be in the house, no one on the streets the next morning while they were looking for everybody. And it mm-hmm. was almost like everyone was glued to the television. It was like Super Bowl Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone was just watching, mm-hmm. um, right. probably drinking because there was nothing else to do. You couldn't do anything. Right. And right. Right. we're just trying to figure out what happened. And I've never been in a war zone, but mm-hmm. looking out the windows, you're seeing all of these, mm-hmm. yeah, like tanks mm-hmm. coming down the street yes. and the military. Yes. And it was... It was very a very different experience. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. I, I I felt even more connected to you in so many ways because we were both now in Boston in 2013. Right. But oh, I know. You know mm-hmm. I was there with a really good friend of mine, and we were watching mm-hmm. all the runners come in. And mm-hmm. again, right around the four hour mark, we're like, 
should we go have a beer? Like we've cheered mm-hmm. on a lot of people. It's time to like go to a right. bar. And literally right. by the time we walked from the finish line to a pub, mm-hmm. you walked mm-hmm. into the pub and you could hear a pin drop. It was dead oh. silent and everything was on the news. And wow. we were like, oh my God, like what just happened? The, you know, we, we left, we were trying to get home and trying to figure out like where yeah. to go. But again, yeah. it was a little scary because you're not really sure where to go. Like sometimes just staying right. put was like, am I safer here? Should I, like, where should I go next? Um, we didn't want to take public transportation. Um, right. And so, yeah, just the faces, like the photographs that we took of just like, mm-hmm. you know, the experience yeah. around us, but like the runners, like, yeah, leaning over the barricades, like hands on their forehead, just like cramping right. and just, you know, goals of finishing a marathon, you train so hard for something and then something so tragic right. happens on so many levels. Right. Like, yeah. Ugh. I know it was, yeah. it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. Any other marathons since then though? Like, have you ended up completing one or have you taken a different course with your training? Um, so I now do uh, half marathons. Awesome. I, I ran, um, oh goodness. Um, the Santa Barbara marathon, but at the halfway point, I am, um, well, before the halfway point, my calf uh, started mm. really bothering me. Yeah. And I thought, okay, we can, we, I can run the rest of the marathon and I'm not going to get near a time that I want. And, and then I'm going to have to take a couple weeks off sure. because I'm going to have an injury. Yep. Or you can be disappointed right now and you ran 13 miles. Which is huge. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, but I was so mad that I, I, I forget exactly where I was, but there weren't any, you know, again, I'm not running with my cell phone. Sure. So I had to walk through a neighborhood mm-hmm. to get to another hotel to ask if they would please drop me off at my hotel. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask the hotel um, staff to please let me into my room so I could get my phone to call my mom and her best girlfriend to tell them that. You're back at, you're not finishing. Yeah. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Maybe come back to the hotel. So I finally got a hold of them and she said, okay, well, you know, let, let's go, you know, we'll get um, champagne and brunch and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll celebrate your 13 miles. And I said, take your time getting back because I need to go to the gym. They're like, oh. you just ran 13 miles. I said, I know, but I need to lift some weights right now because I'm really disappointed mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. This problem that I'm having right now with my calf and that I didn't finish. Yeah. So it's like stress relief. Yeah. 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 So they said, okay, we understand you. We got it. We'll take our time. We'll meet you back in the, Mm -hmm. in the hotel lobby in two hours. You go work out, you shower, you do your thing. Yeah. I said, okay. So two hours later I met them. They're like, are you good? And I said, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go celebrate now. (laughs) Oh, I know. I'm the same way. I love, um, like, Oh, so many things. So I just started running marathons um, after my diagnosis. So prior oh, wow. to cancer, okay. I was doing like the half marathons and okay. a marathon was always like a bucket list item, but never really like, I don't know, it was never really happening. But after having cancer, I was like, okay, bucket list item. Like we are just no excuses. Let's just do something phenomenal as if like, you know, going through all this treatment and coming out of it still alive wasn't phenomenal enough. Right. Um, I was like, let's go run a marathon. And um, I need to, I'm, I'm sure you know them on social media, but there are these, um, actually three girls, but two of which um, 
we all decided to do the Chicago Marathon together. And uh-huh. it was just like my hometown. I was so excited. It's a flat course, like could not wait. I trained for it. My time was ridiculously slow, but like I ran, we had so much fun and I crossed the finish line and that was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And this other mm-hmm. woman who actually just completed her first, I'm not sure if it's only, but her first full Ironman um, wow. just a couple weeks ago. And she's been training for like a whole year after her diagnosis. And, you know, we were texting back and forth and she's, um, she's from New Jersey. So like, we're not in the same state training, but we're texting because we got like Mm -hmm. this virtual run community going Mm -hmm. and it's just like aches and pains or, you know, some days you're doing like 12 minute miles because you're just sore. My boyfriend teases me too. He's like, some people can walk faster than you jog. I'm like, I got got the bounce (laughs) going though. Like I'm bouncing. Like you got the moment. Right. (laughs) Um, and then uh, six months later, I ended up flying out to Duluth, Minnesota to run with another uh, breast cancer survivor, and we did the Grandma's Marathon in Duluth. Awesome. And that one was just, I mean, when you're talking about, like, smelling the roses, I had, again, no expectations. It was point to point, and that's what kind of scared me. I've never done, like, a point to point race. Right. And, uh-huh. you know, Chicago was a loop, so I'm like, well, at any point, I can just kind of, like, you know, jump on the subway or cross over and like get to the finish line. Like I wasn't too concerned, but point to point, like 26 miles is like, you know, even if you end up walking, that's still a long time to to walk. Um, So mentally I was like, if I finish, I, that's great. But at least mentally I know I can do 13. And that's where the first Mm -hmm. bus was like for the maybe elite runners or injury people who like need to take the bus back. So I'm like, I know I can get to 13. And I got to 13. I was like, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, I, I think I can do this. And like, but like taking pictures, I'm like mile 13 doing selfies. And like, right, right. You know, and so my whole mental thing was like, I just need to get to the next pickup point, like the next, like, you know, big Red Cross, like, um, right. service station of like, right. Well, if I can get, to, it wasn't even about getting to like mile 20 or 25. It was like, okay, where's the next like health station? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I would always ask myself, like, are you feeling okay? I'm like, I'm feeling good. Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> yeah. But it was almost like having that security blanket of like, you know, there was an out if I needed the out. Right. So, yeah. Well, congratulations on, on your races. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll keep you posted too. There's um, another woman I'd love to introduce you to. Um, she oh, was on our really- podcast as well. Her name is, I don't know if she goes by like Deborah or Debbie or Deb. Um, oh. She's listening to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but she she's wonderful. She used to be like an Iron Woman, Iron Man triathlete. And then after mm-hmm. her um, metastatic diagnosis, she ended up now just doing, she still runs and still, no, she still swims and bicycles, but no longer okay. runs. And she has taken okay. on this awesome role of just being like event race coordinator, like uh-huh. all over. And she's just so full of energy. And you know, her story was really amazing too, because she was such a trainer that, you know, she was like, Oh, I think I just like fractured something or, you know, like pulled a muscle. Like that's how we are. We're like young and nimble and healthy. And then to hear these stories of, you know, athletes getting cancer is just like those two words just don't go hand in hand. Um, They they really don't. They really don't. But this is a (laughs) circuitous way to say, um, save the date for, um, Summer 2020, we are in okay. the planning stages. I feel like the more I say this, and this is the first time I'm saying it on the podcast, so um, this is kind of exciting. So now it really has to happen. But um, <laughs> survivingbreastcancer.org, our organization, we are working and are in the planning stages of doing a retreat. 
over oh, the cool. weekend of the summer solstice, which I think is going to be like super awesome. Oh so my god! June like twentieth, twenty first, twenty second, like whenever that weekend is. Um, uh-huh. This woman Deb um, is helping me coordinate it, and it's going to have this like great theme of like paddleboarding and exercise and potentially like a 5k because there's a lot of other women who've like never run a race before but they want to do like you know bucket list like it doesn't have to be a marathon it could be a 5k so what can we do around like health and exercise and races but like retreaty and for like breast cancer survivors so i I love love for you to come so please save the date um and just be amazing to bring like amazing women together who can just like laugh and enjoy like some time in new england in the summer I think that's wonderful. Yes, I will absolutely save that day. Definitely. Well, we covered so many topics. This was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed um, sharing your story. I feel like we were both like all smiles despite the topic. So, right. Yeah. And I think you are amazing. And I so appreciate you and everything that you do. And I'm grateful that you um, had me on today. So thank you very much. Likewise. Thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. If this podcast was helpful, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review so we know that you liked it. There are so many ways to join our community. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at survivingbreastcancer.org. Follow us on Instagram, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and on YouTube at bit.ly forward slash YouTube SBC, and on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thanks. Until next time, talk to you then.